Welcome to Finding Flow, where your hosts, George Russian and John Honeycutt, guide you on topics related to finding and achieving the optimal state of human consciousness known as flow state. They will share principles of neuroscience and peak performance, offering practical takeaways and actionable challenges to support you in finding your flow. And now, here are your hosts, George and John. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 14 of Finding Flow. I am here with uh, John Honeycutt. Hello, as always. Good morning. <laughs> um, how are you doing this morning, John? I'm amazing. What about you? Uh, I'm good. You should be amazing. You're drinking coffee, I'm drinking tea. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> this literally me. is my favorite time of the day. I At night, I dream about waking up the next day so I can have my cups of coffee. <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't dream about tea yet, uh, but this stuff is pretty good. Mm. This stuff's pretty good. Yeah. It's just like a cinnamon cardamom combination. Mm. That sounds delicious. So far, so far, so good through a couple sips. It's still, still pretty darn close to, uh, uh, boiling, which was the, mm-hmm. the recommendation on the, on the package. Um, have you been up to anything? It's been a couple weeks. Have you been up to anything good? It has been a couple weeks. Yeah. Last week I, um. I did something very exciting. I completely revamped my getting things done project and task structures. Uh, I did a mega weekly review process, which I'm sure everybody's super excited to hear about. Uh, And I feel like way more connected to all of my projects and what I'm working on. But once a quarter, I try to go through, it's like spring cleaning for your projects and tasks. And uh, I can tell you the impact on my cognitive load is pretty immense. Like I was much more settled after going through that process and a lot more clear about what I'm focused on and what my priorities are. That's, we'll have to give everyone who knows you a moment to climb back into their chairs uh, as you've rearranged your, your, (laughs) your life. That's good. That's, uh, that's, I'm sure in all seriousness, that is, uh, uh, I know that that takes a lot. and I imagine has already been uh, really valuable. So that's that's great. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, for all of us, as we continue to climb the ladder of peak performance, um, our lives expand and <clears throat> more and more opportunities, more and more people, more and more ways to serve, uh, contribute, show up. And all of that has to be, it doesn't have to be, but it's nice to be able to rationalize all of it, prioritize it, and really get clear on like what's the win right now, what's important right now what deserves my time and focus and what doesn't. And uh, even though I've been doing this for a long time and I train people in doing this, it always surprises me at like how clear and free I feel when I complete that. There's a sub-perceptual concern that just builds over time. And uh, yeah, so it's good to be on the other side of that. Um, Yeah, Heather and I went through an exercise of... uh rearranging and uh our our garage recently so we got rid of a bunch of stuff um got a bunch of stuff ready to that that was actually garbage um got ready uh got a bunch of stuff together to uh to donate um and to sell actually and some other stuff to sell at a a garage sale that's coming up so all that is to say we have a, a a big open space now uh in our garage which we're uh very intentionally uh, filling. So she's got a, her woodworking station put together. She has a resin station put together. And then I will have uh, an area to uh, 
begin welding soon. And, uh, and already I have a little area to work on my bike. So I am, uh, I'm, I'm pretty pumped. I'm pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty, pretty pumped. When you get to start getting stuff in order, uh, makes it makes you feel good. So I, 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 I understand what you're, you know, what you were working on. Yeah. I mean, either way, whether it's a physical environment or a digital environment, having the environment clean and clear almost calls for high performance. Like all of a sudden, you know, it's like <clears throat> field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. When you create this, the clean spare environment, then all of a sudden it just fills itself with something that's purposeful and intentional. Um, it reminds me of one of our conversations about Mihai Csikszentmihalyi talking about entropy and the entropic consciousness and entropy being the second law of thermodynamics, stating that things in the universe unattended will move from a state of order to disorder, like a garage, like a to-do list or a project list. And so part of our role with peak performance and flow state is to continually be not combating entropy, but just <clears throat> being with entropy, being with, you know, every day you got to make your bed. You got to continue to work out because I'm, I'm turning 50 this year. There is entropy occurring in my physical body. You know, if I don't keep working out and I don't keep stretching and, you know, so how do you, how do you be with entropy and the routines, habits, and practices that support you moving in the direction that you really are committed to go is a big part of living the the good life we talked about in the last couple episodes uh it it it, it is and um uh we've uh after the success of the of the garage rearranged we know we've been we've been going back through the house and looking at um not even necessarily how uh clean or tidy some of the spaces are but how they're arranged um so you 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 can't tell well no, no one listening can tell but john even you can't can't tell that probably i i've re- we've rearranged this uh, office area mm-hmm. uh, ent- entirely so um changed the way the desks are oriented changed what's in here uh put a lot of stuff away that was out that we weren't using all the time to to kind of free free up the space um we have a uh, futon that we're going to be moving in here. So it's a little more of a homey midday nap, uh, <laughs> type of, uh, type of, type of vibe, uh, in here. And I'm loving it. And my, and my, uh, I can already tell, uh, that my, uh, my, uh, the, the, uh, my, my work that happens in here is, is like the quality has just gone up much mm-hmm. more, much, much more, much more easeful just by, by cleaning some stuff up. I really, I, although this isn't on topic for our conversation today, I really appreciate starting with this point um, because we're in peak performance. We're looking for things other than time and intensity of effort, like working hard, as leverage points for productivity and output. And what you're pointing to is <clears throat> physical, digital, even relational or social environments can have a multiplicative impact on your performance. So rather than working four more hours each day, literally cleaning your office can give you an extra couple hours of productivity or the equivalent of it without working more time. We're always wanting to search for ways to leverage um, intention, environment, 
things like that to create greater return on investment so that you don't have to hustle and grind and, and put a lot more time. In fact, uh, David Allen, the creator of the Getting Things Done methodology and the book, the author of the book, Getting Things Done and Making It All Work, often talks about if you have 10 minutes and you don't know what to do, clean out a drawer. It's just a best practice. If you clean out a drawer, all of a sudden, like, energy is freed up, ideas are freed up, and you're just a little bit more clear. I like that. I like that. I uh, I have a, I had a junk drawer. Do you have a junk drawer, John? I used to have junk drawers. I don't allow junk drawers anymore. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the first thing I thought of when you said that. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe maybe as a consumer of this podcast, you can go and clean your junk drawer today and see if, like, your garage it makes a difference for you. Well, I would have to find ten minutes where I wasn't operating it. 100%. <laughs> what a good so, segue into <laughs> the conversation around slowing down. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, we took a long time to get there, fittingly. But yes, yeah, this week we're, uh, we're talking about uh, slow movement, this, the, 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 the slow movement um, and, and, and what that means. Um, John, I, we've had a couple discussions about it uh, already, I think two or two or three. And, um, what does it mean? Maybe we could we could describe what the slow movement is. Yeah, so there's <clears throat> there's a couple things, George. One is first off, are we going to talk in a really slow voice this entire podcast? No, I, I could do that in, in post production. I'll, I'll slow this down. Okay, too. okay, good. Well, we'll just talk normally, and you can handle that on the back end. Um, first off, I think just like slowing down is a is a practice. You know, just going a little bit slower. Number two, there is, you reference a slow movement. There has been a slow movement um, kind of as a counter cultural balance to the fast movement. And so we could talk a little bit about some examples of slow culture, slow movement. Um, but I think the, the third thing to look at would be what does it mean to go slow in the context of peak performance and flow state? So where, where would you like to jump in? I think we should start with the cultural bias. I think that's a good place to start. Uh, always, almost. Well, I mean, how many um, Fast and Furious movies are there now? Uh, they have to like fourteen or fifteen. I I don't I don't think we're that I don't think we're that far along. Uh, okay. I I'll I'll look that up. You keep going. I'll, I'll yeah. find out. We have the need the need for speed. Like our culture is, um, you know, I I grew up in the um, computer industry. So I started when I was 15 working in computers and software and hardware, and it was always looking at Moore's Law, how quickly technology can accelerate. How can we make the microprocessors smaller, faster, cheaper, and we're going to keep doubling the rate of speed or velocity every X months or whatever. Uh, and so everything has always been about more speed and less cost. And with the automotive industry or just like anything, it's about how much faster can we go? We, we have 4G moving into 5G on our cell phones because we want things faster. Um, we use microwaves to cook our food because we want the food faster. We want to eat faster. So I think the cultural bias is that there is a very strong preference for going quickly or getting more done. Uh, it's almost impossible to talk about fast without talking about more because it's part of a, it's all kind of part of a cultural consumption 
we just want to consume more and more and more. And we want to do it more and more quickly. I would bet you, because we're already doing things like, I bet some of the listeners are listening to the podcast on a 1.25 or 1.5x. I'll listen to audiobooks sometimes on a 2x. Pretty soon we're going to binge watch our series on Netflix or Amazon on a 2x because we want to get more in. How many seasons is this? How many episodes? Let's get more. That's, uh, uh, yeah, certainly something I do with audio content uh, as well. And it is. That's all it is. Is Yeah, this, oh, this is an hour long. Well, what if it was a half hour? I could have, yeah, I could have that 30 minutes to do something else. So. There's like a greed around consumption. We want to consume information because these podcasts are going to, you're going to do something, having more, more knowledge, even as brilliant as this podcast is like, we want to, we want 14 episodes now, we want to binge listen to all of the episodes over and over. I'm sure most people are doing that like multiple times to, for what, to what end? We see this with food, right? And the in America, at least, there are 60 plus percent of the people are morbidly obese now. Excuse me, not morbidly obese, just obese, moving towards morbidly obese. Um, but I mean, that's that's an example of a culture that says let's consume as much as possible as quickly as possible. Yeah, and that's um, to answer your question from earlier. There are eight Fast and Furious movies. Uh, <laughs> No, 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 no obesity. That well, actually, maybe by like BMI, probably everyone in the movie is obese, but it's all it's all muscle. Um, but uh, yeah, I think you point to something that uh, is uh, yeah, it's pretty prevalent, and and you see in uh, in the workplace is is probably where where it is most where it has been most obvious to me uh, over time is uh, how fast people want to go and how much people want to get done. Um, and there is a, uh, a, a, a qu- quantity over quality, um, problem, I think, um, mm-hmm. that, that, uh, pr- uh, pervades a lot of, a lot of businesses, um, or a lot of at least business groups that I, that I've been involved with. Like we gotta, we gotta do all this today. Um, Got to get this done yesterday, and that does not does that almost necessarily does not set you up to produce good work. It produces you to produce work, which is something we got that we got that presentation done, we got that report out, got that white paper finished, we got whatever. And is it good? Did we think of everything that we could have here if we had stepped back and taken some extra time? And I and I get it. I get it from a because I've I've also been a uh, a manager of people, so I also understand that for a lot of the workforce, if you give if you give them thirty days to do a project, they will start that maybe on day twenty eight. So I, I I get I get that there's a there's a uh, um, a balance there, but well there there's a direct tie into the need for things like getting things done or productivity and efficiency tools um, if we weren't in a hyper velocity hyper more hyper consumptive culture the idea of like out of my eight million tasks which ones are my biggest priorities wouldn't occur to us and I think a lot of this is derived obviously from technology 
And, you know, now we have Slack and Microsoft Teams and all kinds of collaborative platforms where literally everybody in the company across every continent can be instantaneously communicating. So the speed of communication where we used to have to wait six months for an annual meeting or something like that, or we would send information via postal mail or even before that by horse and carriage or something. That's obviously maybe not the best way to do business, but now that we can do it instantly, is that is that now the best way? Just because you have the technology and the capability, is that actually the most effective? If you look at how much faster as a culture we're moving now than we were 50 years ago, are we producing, if we're moving 10 times faster, are we producing 10 times the value? We would expect that people would be 10 times happier, 10 times healthier, 10 times more peaceful and settled, but I'm not sure that that's actually the case. You know, and you, you point uh, you point to something there that had, hadn't really occurred to me in, uh, when we were talking about this previously. I, I've um, on the I've mentioned this before on the development team I work on. We we practice mob uh, programming, which means that um, uh, a lot of the time the team is working on one problem together, and uh, uh, part of that is also that the, they don't get the team that is, they don't get pulled into meetings. Um, they have a very uh, clear focus uh, for the day. So if you're working on one problem as a team, there's no, there's no contact switching. There's not, um, uh, they, they are pretty self-contained uh, even, even within uh, uh, something like Slack uh, or, or email. A lot of the communication is uh, amongst each other Um passing code back and forth, passing, passing research back and forth uh, to one another while they're working. And so it's created a, a, um, a, uh, a space where some of the, some amazing uh, programming gets done. Like it's really, really good. Uh, and they're really, really efficient and they're really, really happy, which is the most important. That's what we're, that's what we're shooting for. I, I, I work with people that are really happy to show up to work every day. And, um, uh, but what, anyway, what I'm pointing at is the is the the focus. They they really uh, there's a very very uh, s- small uh, set of things that they're concerned about at any given time, and it's not that they're on the call and then they're also checking their email and then they're also answering somebody else on the side on Slack about something completely unrelated and they're also doing some, something else. No, they're focused on one problem, and I noticed that even in the conversations that we have, John. Obviously, right here when we record. But what some folks might not know is that John and I we uh, we meet outside of this, <laughs> this this particular podcast recording, and I would say that uh, you are one of the only people that I meet with that I I you know I can see your face when we're on Zoom, and you're not you know checking emails while you're talking to me or do, or working on something unrelated and then kind of floating in and out of the conversation tend to be very focused in the conversation i think for for folks that think so if you if you start by maybe thinking about slowing down as becoming uh focused on one thing that's a good that would be a good first step is learning to do that because slowing down is not going to happen if you're answering an email and talking to somebody on Slack and answering a text message and while you're while you're also working on a you know working through a spreadsheet or something like that it's going to be pretty hard to go slow mm-hmm. if if that's you know how how you tend to operate 
Yeah, what occurs to me as you're speaking is that our tech, we're trying to emulate our technology. So I think technology is great. And just first off, like this isn't a polemic against going fast. This isn't a polemic against technology or our modern culture. It's a it's being aware of the drift or the <clears throat> the pull of the culture so that you can be aware of if you're standing in a river that's got a specific current, it's useful to be aware of what the current is so you don't get pulled with it if you don't want to. Um, that said, I think we try to emulate our machines and our machines are capable of working 24-7 without a break. Um, we're not. We're not intended to do that. We're intended to be cyclical, like like a natural thing, not a, not a machine. Uh, we try to multitask the way our machines do, but that's not the way our biology and our neurology works. And so part of our conversation in this podcast around peak performance and flow state is about becoming more aligned to who you are naturally, authentically, as a human being who needs rest and release and recovery, who needs to eat food and take naps and take walks to be in nature and to get aligned to a natural mode of performance that brings the best of your nervous system, your brain, your chemistry, your neurochemistry and your bodily chemistry so that you can actually perform at maximal for a human being and trying to emulate the multitasking or the hyper velocity of a computer system, I think leaves people feeling inhuman. And as you pointed to quality and output greatly suffer uh, in the corporate world, things like burnout, the burnout now is a world health organization um, illness. It's a it's an actual designation in the in the manual, um, and it costs corporations billions, if not trillions. Like the the amount of like turnover, new recruiting, healthcare cost, insurance cost is immense. Um, so again, there's nothing wrong with going fast, but what we're looking at in this conversation is what becomes available if you step past the current cultural bias of bigger, faster, more, consume, 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 fast, 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 rush, rush, rush to the end. What becomes available if you stop and question that and start to think about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, and I think I think you, that that's uh, that's right. That's a good thing to add. Um, having the ability to uh, go fast, multitask, um, work on several things at the same time—that's an important skill to have. Skill to have. There are there are situations, whether it's at work or in 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 our um, in our lives, that require that. Sometimes uh, emergencies happen. Um, and um, yeah, it's important to have that gear, but I, I think what you're pointing to is it's, that's probably not the ideal state all, all the time, all the time. Yeah. I mean, if you were living a long time ago and you were on the, the savanna and you were all of a sudden you're being chased by a saber toothed tiger and you had a cut and your body had been devoting energy towards healing the cut or preventing infection or putting antibodies to that part of your your system, it would it has a marvelous ability to adapt in the moment and say, let's put cortisol and adrenaline into the system. Let's have this human run as quickly as possible because now the highest priority is survival. 
The highest priority is not being eaten by a lion. And uh, we're not going to worry about the paper cut or the potential for gangrene or something like that because, you know, within 10 minutes we might not be alive. The problem is that's meant to be used in an emergency only. And in our society, we're using it all the time. And I think we're using it under the banner of peak performance. And the, the simple truth is it's not, that doesn't, it's not true. The math doesn't add up. You're not peak performing doing that. So the whole conversation around slowing down a bit or doing less and doing it better is a provocative confrontation to that kind of a mindset. So that's what we're intending here is to start a dialogue around why are you going so fast? Why are you consuming so much? Like where, where, where are you going? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, um, I I wonder if we shouldn't, I'd like to talk about kind of what we get, what, what you get out of going slow. Um, we, uh, I know we have a, we have a, a lot of things we want to talk about today, but uh, um, yeah, what 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 exactly does slowing down allow for? And I think we've already we've pointed to a couple of things. I, I think it's um, uh, one thing that I wanted to, to start with is just kind of revisiting that that focus, like being able to sit with whatever it is, a piece of work, to sit with a book, to sit with a piece of art uh, for. Uh, a while is something that unlock is uh, something that uh, certainly in my experience unlocks uh, things that aren't that wouldn't otherwise be available. Um, I I know this to be true out of uh, uh, certainly out of work, out of writing, out of uh, working on different pro- like different projects. If I can remove the, I have to get this done by you know in a, in a half hour or something like that. And if you take away those those uh, time constraints, ten times out of ten, I, I come up with something better just by sitting with the problem and thinking about you know the people involved, thinking about what we're trying to accomplish. Just stepping back and going slow. I work with a a uh, uh, really uh, brilliant guy who's one of the one of the executives at our, at our company, and um, has a almost a reputation for being slow. And he comes up with really good ideas by, by, by being that way. And so I've been trying to emulate uh, that, uh, br- bring that to 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 my work. Slow down. Yes, I. This. Yes, yes. We do have to have this meeting, and you have to put together an agenda. What if we thought about it for an hour? How how good how how good would that would that meeting end up going? Mm-hmm. And the answer the answer is you, you, usually pretty well. Usually a lot better than if you. You know, oh, I didn't plan for anything, and you know, you, you're on back-to-back phone calls, and you just hop into a meeting, and then and then you go. That that can. This is work, where the Goldilocks but. thing comes in, because I think you know, there's a right now the pendulum is swung so far into the side of fast, 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 more, 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 bigger, 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 uncontrolled growth without any thought about it, and just everybody's going too quickly to even be introspective or to sit back and look at it. So slow is a direction then that takes you back towards center. There's a way you could go too slow. You know, so the idea here isn't just like unbridled slowness, just in the same way we're not saying unbridled fastness. Um, but there is there is that sweet spot for humans where engagement opens up, where clarity opens up. And you can actually, you know, I like what Timothy Ferris calls as the minimal effective dose. 
there's a minimal effective dose for um, putting an agenda for a meeting together. And mostly right now, 99% of the time, we're not spending the time required to get to the minimal effective dose. So what I would say is appropriate is, uh, I think it was Einstein, I'm going to butcher this quote, but it was like, do as much as is needed, but not more. You know, so like, take the appropriate amount of time. So this is about trying to find what is natural, what is required for quality, what is required for clarity, what's required to have less errors and rework. And for, again, gross uh, nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, it's going to be slowing it down a little bit, doing less in any given day, and trying to do that better, getting more clear on what it is that you're producing, what's going to make the difference. Can I give an example of something from business? Please do. I don't know this particular boot manufacturer personally, but I've heard a story that celebrities like Madonna and other place people go to this one boutique boot manufacturer, which I'm going to get all the details wrong, but the spirit of the story will be intact, which is they make something like 50 or 100 pairs of boots total a year. And they charge boot coodles of money for it because they're handmade, they're crafted, they're done with excellence. And people want that. And so they'll make more money and higher profit by doing less. And then they've developed, a, you know, they're booked out for 10 years. They don't have to worry about client retention or client acquisition. And they've created a niche for themselves. Not only is the quality, the brand, and the profit significantly better, but I think their experience of life is significantly richer because they're engaged. They're probably in a flow state while they're designing and making these boots, and they're probably not working, you know, 80% of their waking time and then collapsing in a heap in front of a television for the remainder of the time because they're so exhausted. Yeah, I think that's that's wonderful. I love I love that. Uh, that's a cool example. Um, probably a set of boots that I will never have, but uh, I'm, now I'm interested in what... <laughs> well, I, I run into this with my own business. You know, I coach about 30 people at a time, which is which is a lot. And the question is, well, you know, well, you could you could publish your your curricula online, and you could reach thirty thousand people, and you could reach a million people. And I get caught up in that. You know, I'm like, okay, it's going to be bigger impact, more money. This, and then it's like, well, I've created for myself a life that really works, that I'm deeply engaged in, deeply gratified by. I have all the money that I need. I'm I have the ability to really go deep with people and impact their lives in pretty substantial ways. So I have to just be aware of, am I, am I heeding the siren song of faster, bigger, better, more, versus more deep, more engaged, more embodied? And there's a better song for me, and that song is mastery. Can I master something? Because I bet you those are master boot makers. Or do you want to be like the, the sweatshop shoe manufacturer that's putting out billions of pairs of shoes that are just going to end up in a landfill in six months. Where's the flow in that? Where's the peak performance in that? Yes, it's more. Yes, it's faster. But to what end? Um, I like what you pointed to a minute ago about kind of the uh, minimum, uh, uh, what, what Tim, what Tim Ferriss talked about. The MED, the minimal effective dose. Minimal effective dose. There's a, a, um, a, uh, a a theory in, in uh, around documentation in agile science that's uh, 
talks about like just enough documentation, uh, meaning that with any with any piece of software that's written, uh, there could be uh, documentation that's included with it, so that if uh, I write the code and then I hand it off to, to you later, John, you understand what you know what was what, what was what was going on, right? How to how to how to get into it, and you could write uh, too much documentation, uh, meaning uh, I could be super detailed, uh, maybe 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 gussy it up and, and make the make it actually uh, look good. But you, as someone coming in, is never going to never going to use it the way that I intended because the the code will necessarily be uh, it'll take some time for you to 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 get into. What you need is just enough documentation to understand what the intention was, and then and then after that, you you go. You can you your your skill will will will, will take you from there, and so. Um, that's what I thought of when you you know you talked about the minimal effective dose. Um, there's a lot of places where we could I could probably plug that in, you know, where mm-hmm. it's appropriate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's what this whole conversation is about. <clears throat> when you look at the the duality pairs of fast or slow, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm so sorry, big or small, complex or simple, more or less, which one's better? Well, none of them are better. There is a there is a natural, <clears throat> excuse me so much. There's a natural middle ground for all of these that will shift slightly at different points of life and in different contexts and circumstances. And listening for and balancing in that sweet spot, that is the art of flow. You get into flow state just as an example with the challenge skills balance. When you get the challenge of what you're up against and your skill level are in a, in a dance, they're correlated in a way that all of a sudden you're like really lit up and engaged in what you're doing. That's it. That's the minimal effective dose. Don't go too far in one direction. Don't go too far in the other direction. Right now, we're just, <clears throat> people conflate the idea of high performance and peak performance with doing more and doing it faster. I'm an efficiency expert. I'm like a black belt when it comes to getting things done and all of the different time and project management methodologies that are out there. I've made that my life's work, but I don't get more efficient so that I can do more. I get more efficient so that I can do better. I I think that's a great, yeah, wonderful way to, to, to frame it. And something that, uh, that's exactly what I see work in, in the, in the, in the workplace, uh, today, um, with the, certainly with the development team that I work, that I work with, that's the, that's the, that's the outcome is, is better, 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 better. And that's, that's the, that's why we try to be more, uh, that's why we try to find that sweet spot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, you, you asked about <clears throat> what does slowing down allow for? And we've kind of taken a circuitous route to get here, but I think, you know, one of the things we talked about in the eudaimonia conversation about the good life and PERMA was savoring. And I would submit that that's one of the first things that going slower will offer people or open up is the ability to savor. We talked about savoring in the context of positive emotion. You know, all of a sudden you're, you know, you're on your commute to work or something and you see something in the natural world, some sunlight or a tree or a mountain or something. And you're like filled with awe for a moment. If you're go, 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 you're not going to savor that particular positive emotion. And as we talked about in the PERMA conversation, that's kind of the point. 
the point is to maximize these positive experiences or positive feelings. And so slowing down a tick will give you the opportunity, like you with your tea and me with my, my mushroom coffee, to just like take a sip, savor it for a second. That I think is one of the most um, potent benefits or advantages of slowing down. I, uh, that um, uh, makes me think of a, a uh, bike ride I took uh, recently. I rode up from um, like the, for, for those familiar with the Pacific Northwest Seattle area, from like the, the Cedar Woolley area all the way up to, uh, to Washington Pass. And this was about a, about a month ago. And so uh, what happens at that time, I think that's, I think it's Highway 3, maybe. I could have the number wrong. But anyway, uh, it's a beautiful ride, but the uh, because of there is uh, snow at the top of the pass, uh, the highway is closed for about 35, 40 miles from the from the peak all the way back down. And so uh, I went out with uh, three friends, and uh, we rode with no cars, no nothing, just on the middle of the highway. <laughs> uh, rode up to the top of, uh, of Washington Pass and uh, got to, you know, as you talked about, there was no, we weren't, we weren't racing to the top. Uh, no one was interested in setting the best time or, or something like that. Um, got to use these, look at these like beautiful glacier, uh, glacier uh, fed lakes, glaciers and mountains and trees and, uh, and not a sound, right? No, no noise from cars or anything like that. And uh, it was this wonderful adventure. So I, I, there were three people that I, I frankly I don't I don't know terribly well, so we got to got to know each other as we as we rode up the mountains and and it took us several hours. So we got to talk about all sorts of stuff that you you know when you're kind of put into a social situation where you're there you're there like a little bit longer than than maybe you had intended, and so you start talking about all sorts of stuff that you 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 wouldn't talk to in, in like a uh, a short chit chat before a you know before you start a meeting or, or something like that, or if you saw somebody on the street. So. It was incredible, and that you got to savor the whole the whole thing, the whole the whole ride, and it was a uh, a wonderful departure from the type of training that I I I, I normally do, where I'm I'm kind of riding in the same areas uh, and um, through the city. Not to say the city doesn't necess- it doesn't have its its own um, its own beauty, but uh, yeah, to be out in nature for that long uh, and to really take it in was was incredible. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I one of the things that comes up for me when you talk about that is a beautiful example, and I can I can kind of see you there, looking at the glacier-fed lakes and seeing the mountains, and just being forced to slow down and engage socially in ways that you don't normally. And it sounds like a beautiful experience. And yet, I um, I'll wear a heart rate monitor, I'll track my workouts, and when I run, you know, some of the metrics that I care about is how far did I run farther. Did I run faster? So again, it's not a polemic against those kinds of metrics, but can I be aware that I'm doing that? And can I have some of my runs just be unmeasured, unhurried, just for the joy of running? And you could apply that to anything that you do. And in fact, that's what the slow culture has done. Um, Do you want to talk about some of the different examples of slow movement just to give people some different places to think from? Yeah. Well, I was going to stay, I was going to stay with, um, with that, with cycling. I know we, we talked about randoneering, Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, that's a, um, uh, for, for those unfamiliar, uh, it's a, say a, a style, uh, a style of, uh, say bike race, but I'll put that in quotation marks. It's, um, uh, 
like long form kind of bike, think about it like bike packing type adventures uh, that'll go, I, I think the longest ones are six, 700 miles. Uh, so it'll, in a lot of cases, it'll take you several days to, to complete the, uh, the adventure. And there is a, um, a, uh, a speed uh, mim- minimum and a speed limit to the, uh, to the adventure. So uh, for example, if you, if you go to checkpoint one to checkpoint two, uh, there's several checkpoints throughout the throughout the whole course. Uh, if you get there uh, to checkpoint too 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 quick, uh, you have to stop and you have to wait until uh, more people show up and then and then you can keep going. Um, and uh, the point of it is like the, the point is the adventure. It's not to to win in in quotation marks. The the, the winners are the are anybody who ever anyone and everyone who completes the uh, uh, completes the race. Um, and it's a it's a, a style that was born out, born in uh, in France. Uh, uh, people who just who wanted to ride and take kind of really uh, kind of epic adventures on their bikes back when uh, the world was a little different. So this, we're talking like late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. So there wasn't uh, a, you know a Seven Eleven every couple miles or whatever. So you, you really had to be self supported and know how to work on your bike and and. Uh, um, it was a it was a, a huge effort to to go out you know a hundred miles or a couple hundred miles on a bike. It was uh, uh, dangerous even in in a lot of ways. Uh, couldn't pick up your phone if you had a you know an issue. So um, that tradition uh, you know carries on today, and it's just uh, um, you know something I thought of just kind of coming back to the ride that I just took and you know talking about slow, slow movement, very much a slow and savoring way to uh, to uh, ride long distances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. It, we we um, we glorify a competitive first place gold medal style with our athletics and our sport, and it's always about who's the fastest, who did the most, who scored the most points, who came in first place, versus who did it best, who did it most deeply, who enjoyed the ride the most. And this is literal and it's also a metaphor for life, right? If you're racing and your whole concept is to like get done fast, well, that's death. Like, what are you, what are you rushing for? Are you really wanting to get to the end more quickly? Or are you wanting to have a greater depth of experience and appreciation and enjoyment? And I think most people would say they want that greater depth of experience, but we've kind of been, um, duped into thinking that in order to get a greater depth of experience, I've got to go faster to get there. And I think the, the, the radical proposition of this conversation is, wait, stop. You're there now. Just look around, like savor what you have right now. And then in that, in that context, perform, yes, but perform as a celebration. Perform as an expression, not as a transaction, not as a way to get you to something that you don't already have. It's great to have more money. It's great to lose more weight. It's great to have a better relationship. It's great to have a bigger house, like no problem with any of those things. But it has to come from a groundedness in that everything is good right now. Everything is okay right now. There's nowhere to get to. And if sometimes I want to run as fast as I can, awesome. And if sometimes I want to walk as slow as I can, awesome. Play with the full range of it. It reminds me of uh, when I lived in San Diego. Uh, do you know who Thich Nhat Hanh is, the Vietnamese 
Buddhist. Uh, oh, only only through <clears throat> stories for, only through stories from you, but uh, enlighten everyone. He's a well. It's a no pun intended. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh is one of my favorite humans. A, a great example of someone who goes more deeply, more slowly. And I would go in San Diego. He has a, a monastery there called Deer Park up in the mountains of north northeastern San Diego County. And you would you know drive up there and go for like a day of mindfulness. And so part of that is like you eat a meal with the monks and all the other guests, but you eat slowly and you eat in silence. And if you've ever eaten in silence before with other people, it's a it's a mind bending experience. Um, and you eat really slowly. Um, you know, like a lot of people choke to death as they eat their food because they're literally they're shoveling it in so fast that they end up choking and dying prematurely because of it. So in this case, you slow it down and you chew 40, 50 times per bite. And you really get the experience of what does this food taste like? You don't have the fork with the next bite of food on it in the wings, in your hand, on route to the mouth while you're still chewing the first thing. You put your fork down. You be with what you just got, right? You deeply savor and experience it. And then you do that for the whole meal. And then you get up and you go on a walk, but it's a special kind of walk. It's a slow walk. And do you know how hard it is to actually walk really slowly? It takes a lot of focus. But when you slow your gait down, it alters your psychology. It's a disruption to this rhythm that we get into where everything just starts moving faster, faster, faster. We start shifting to the sympathetic nervous system. We start being over cortisol and over adrenalized. And let's get more coffee when we get exhausted. When you slow the walk down, all of a sudden your creativity opens up. Your thoughts open up. You enter flow state. And then you could have an idea in that moment that's worth $10 million or $100 million. That will outperform your hyper-collaborative, hyper-multitasking, hyper-velocity, hustle-and-grind work style a million to one. Yeah, and I think... Um, uh... Well, you put, uh, bring up a couple of good things there. I mean, certainly uh, e- eating eating more slowly. Uh, yes, you can savor the food, and um, there are uh, like um, proven health benefits to just <laughs> uh, chewing your food more completely. Uh, as far as help, help uh, helping the helping you digest uh, food pro- properly, rather than uh, inhale like inhaling your food, uh, so to speak, like you were talking about. Um, and um, pointing to you know slowing down and thinking of like you know potentially thinking of that you know, million dollar idea, um, I think that some of the best leaders that we see in in business uh, today know that, and I think that that's why you see um, things like executive offsites uh, m- more and more popular. Let's pull the executives out of the day to day you know uh, rat race, so to speak. Put them in a put them in a room together. Put the, you know put them on a golf course or what you know whatever it's going to be together to not do work things for a week and let's see what comes of it. And I can you know I can speak from uh, from what I've experienced at companies I've worked at that oh, oh, almost always uh, uh, those folks come come back with ideas that are that point that point the company point what we're doing in a in a in a great direction. And so I think that um, you know people are kind of hip to that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think with with any of these different examples of slow culture, not only does it give you this opportunity for savoring, and it gives you an opportunity for deeper levels of engagement and flow, but you get clarity. I think that's another element that I want to underscore. Um, most people, when they come to me for coaching, one of the reasons people come to a coach is to help develop clarity. And I'll ask a simple question when people are seeking clarity. I'll say, if you have a glass of water and it's filled with sediment and you want to get the sediment out or you want to make the water clear, rather, what do you do? And I'll hear all kinds of interesting strategies, usually involved putting some sort of an instrument into the glass of water and removing forcibly the sediment. Whereas the simplest answer is, do nothing. Let the glass sit, and within a couple minutes, the sediment will sink to the bottom, and like a snow globe, the image underneath that had been previously obscured by all of the noise in the system will be visible. Clarity already exists, you're just too busy. You're just too noisy. You just got too much going on mentally. If you can slow down a second, you don't need to seek clarity from outside. As a coach, I don't give people clarity. I challenge their thinking and slow them down so that their natural clarity emerges. That's very potent. It's very authentic. So what um, kind of make me think there, what are some ways that you talk to your coaches about uh, what are some some tips, some tactics, uh, some things that you recommend to help them slow down? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, God, that's a great question. I think the one of the first things I try to do is I, you know, this is a careful conversation, because on the one hand, nothing happens without action. So a lot of coaching is accountability and coming up with action plans and saying, what are you going to do? But unfortunately, the counterbalance is that people are too frenetic about do, do, do. And so when they come in, rather than getting the essence of a challenge that they're facing, they are automatically shifting into strategy. They're automatically shifting it. We've just been so trained into like, what am I going to do? How am I going to fix this? What am I going to do? Da, 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 da. So I'll step them back from action to feelings to thinking and beliefs, and then ultimately into their ways of being. How do you want to be right now? Do you want to be peaceful? Okay. Do you want to be loving? Do you want to be connected? And we'll focus there. So I think one of the first ways, I wouldn't call it a tactic, but one of the first things that I would do with somebody is get them off of the dime of action and into who they're being. And then when that gets authentically aligned, then we can look at what thoughts are going to serve, feeling states derived from that, and then opportunities for action just present themselves. When you're being the way that you congruent is congruent to who you are, and your thinking is clear, you don't have to come up with an action plan. That's natural performance. You're just going to be appropriately in action using that minimal effective dose, not too fast, not too slow, just right. So that's the first thing is get people clear on being. The next thing is, yeah, there's certain, there's certain practices. So I think having morning and evening routines, having weekly rhythms and cadences, meditation and mindfulness practices, breathing practices, tracking your heart rate variability and working to get more parasympathetic. There's a a hundred different interventions that someone can do to slow down. But I mean, like the examples of slow culture would be another place to start. So one of the ones that I was going to talk about, we talked about slow walking. 
walk slower. Literally walk from one side of the room to the other at a slower pace. I remember when I was in Microsoft, uh, I had a VP tell me he really liked me because I walked faster than everybody else. You know, like we glorify and praise people who are hyper busy. Because if I was just strolling across campus, just enjoying the day, obviously then I'm, I'm not valuable. So slowing your walking down. Um, slow art. There's some, uh, there's some schools of thought that say when you go to a museum, when you go to the Louvre, don't go see every single painting. Pick one and sit in front of it for an hour and then let it, let it open up to you. And is that experience worth more than seeing, checking the box and seeing every single piece of art in the Louvre and not experiencing any of it? Um, I suspect yes. I suspect yes. Just thinking about the way that I consume most things, whether it be uh, like visual media, books, podcasts, uh, I I know that it, it typically takes me a couple uh, a couple listens or a, a couple read read throughs of a of a book to really get everything. And uh, part of that is I know that especially with visual and audio media, I I just I'm not necessarily 100% all, all there. And that happens with books too, where sometimes, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, you, you know, you kind of end up, you're, you're on the next page and you're like, huh, what just happened two paragraphs ago? Um, because your mind, you know, will start to, you know, will start to wander. And so uh, I suspect, yes, I suspect, yes, sitting in, in front of one piece of art for an hour probably would lend, uh, uh, more, I don't want to say a benefit, but you you would you would you would get more out of that experience than uh, z- zipping through the you know the museum or something. You're kind of pointing to something that's underneath this whole conversation, which which may or may not be a bridge too far for for our listeners. But at the end of the day, whether you go deep with one painting or you see all the paintings in a very shallow way that you can't even remember and made no impact on your soul, none of that matters. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether you see one or whether you see all of them. And then you're not going to get a report card at the end that says, great job. You did the best you could do in the museum, in the art gallery. Similar with life. If from this moment on, you rush through the rest of your days and you make the most money and you spend the most time and you die early of a heart attack or whatever happens, or you go really slow and you produce less, you consume less, and you it doesn't really matter. There's no end game here. So in the meantime, what do you want to do? And I think having the choice, you want to say, hey, I want to today, I want to rush through the Louvre. Awesome. Are you doing it with awareness? And are you doing it by choice? Are you doing it because you're swept in the current of a culture that glorifies speed over mastery, over quality, over embodiment? Yeah, and I, you know, I think a couple other things you pointed to before that, uh, having the, having some of the structures in place, like you talked about with your with your coaching clients, having the ability to, to slow down, take a slow walk, uh, and uh, to circle back to the to the beginning of the call when we were talking about kind of cl- cleaning up, um, whether it's uh, cleaning up processes, or in my case, cleaning up. 
physical spaces. Um, all of that uh, that we talked about allows you to have choice in the matter, and that's uh, that's 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 the important part. I I I would assert that both you and I, John, have the ability have the have the the luxury to go slow. Mm-hmm. Where appropriate, and we have the ability and the luxury to go fast when that's a- appropriate. Totally. Or, and, look, and, if I was and, a hamster, and all the speeds in between, right? Yeah. If I was a hamster in a cage, and there was a hamster wheel, that looks like fun. I want to get on it and go as fast as I can. Can you see me? Just running on the hamster wheel. But then I know I can get off anytime I want. When it doesn't serve me, when I'm getting tired, when it's not fun anymore, I don't run on that hamster wheel. That doesn't define who I am. Running faster doesn't give me value or worth in this culture. It doesn't solve anything in my soul or in my heart. It's just fun. And I think if people can start relating to speed and pace that way, sometimes it's fun to make more. Sometimes it's fun to consume more. Sometimes it's fun to have a cheat meal where you like eat a hundred waffles. I don't know. I've never eaten a hundred waffles, but like you know, you see these guys who are, are on these diets and then they'll go and they'll just eat like a 12,000 calorie day. That's fun. Do you want to live like that every day? You know, there's probably going to be a consequence to it. I think one of the other things that slow allows for is mastery. And that's maybe one of the last points that I wanted to make on what slow opens up is one of my watchwords when I think about who do I want to be is excellence and mastery. And again, I could, I could take more training classes as a coach. I could read a hundred more books. I could get a thousand more clients or I could sit with and be with and go deeper with what I already have and really develop mastery as a coach, which isn't about what I'm doing. It's about the listening that I have. It's about my level of empathy. It's all about my being. So for me, going slower, yes, there's a natural consequence of I'm not touching a million people right now, but I can touch the ones that I'm touching in a deeper way. Uh, I, I love that. And I and I and what I would add is that um, I think uh, sometimes myself included, we can get myopic about what mastery means. So when we get uh, focused on, so I'll use a like cycling example, if you get focused on being fast, whatever that means, fast climbing up hills, fast on flat ground, whatever, um, sometimes we can ignore all the other things that, uh, that might aid that or might make your life easier. Uh, so for, for example, and you see this even at the professional levels of cycling, if you aren't a, uh, an adequate bike handler, for example, and you can't descend very quickly, great. You're more fit than everyone else. Your, your VO2 max is through the roof and, and you're, you're smashing everyone up, a, up, a, up, up climbs. And then you go ahead and lose a couple minutes on the descent because you can't ride your bike. Um, that's. Uh, it, it's not, I, won't, I wouldn't classify it as low hanging fruit, but that's something else that, re, you know, requires attention. Bring it back to the Randonneers uh, example that I made earlier. Then you start to introduce examples. Well, you know, can you, can you fix your bike? You know, can you, can you 
change the chain? Can you uh, work on the derailleur and, and fix a, a pedal that's that's giving you trouble? And like all these other things that might come up as you're out on the road for three or four days um, without without any help. You know, can you do those things? Um, so that's all. You know, that's also mastery, and it goes along with you know the the, uh, the you know the fitness aspect of it certainly. So um, I think there's there's things like that that pop up everywhere. Um, you know, in our, in our, in our work lives, uh, in our relationships as well. Um, you know, sometimes we get so focused on being the best, whatever it is, uh, project manager or something like that, that, that you can be, there's all sorts of auxiliary skills that if we work on those, make, make being a project manager way easier. Mm -hmm. I like the autonomy of defining what best means for you. And I think for me, best means deepest, broadest, greatest level of experience, not necessarily fastest, shallowest, cheapest, most. Um, I've heard a story about a furniture maker who finishes not just the exterior surfaces of the furniture that everybody will see, but will actually put a finishing on interior surfaces that literally the owner of the furniture will never see. It's not for the customer. It's for the artisan. And that's a level of craftsmanship in life. Now, is that better than cheap, fast, more production? No, but it's more interesting to me. And given that choice, that's where I'm going to align to is getting into flow state, going a little deeper, raising the quality, raising my level of engagement and savoring of the, of the experience, of the process. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many paintings we see in the Louvre. It really doesn't. Is there um, anything else you want to touch on before we leave some parting thoughts? Yeah, one of the things that comes up since we usually talk about a, a cheesy movie cultural reference at some point in each of our episodes, I want to bring out the classic uh, film, The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. Um, there's, there's a point in that movie that when my wife and I watch it, get, it gets her every time. And she, she kind of gets really moved by this point. Uh, without going into details of the whole story, Tom Cruise plays a Western, an American soldier who's living in feudal Japan in the Shogun era. And he's mentoring with, or he's underneath the mentorship of a, of a samurai. And that samurai dies at some point. And Tom Cruise's character is in front of the emperor of Japan, this young man. And the emperor is so interested in what was the last samurai in Japan. And he asks... Tell me how he died. And Tom Cruise's character says, no, I will tell you how he lived. And I think that's the point of this conversation is it's not about the finish line. It's about the journey and find the right pace for you that allows you to unlock clarity, unlock savoring, unlock mastery and unlock flow state. Um, I like that. I don't think I've ever seen The Last Samurai. Should I? I don't know. I think you might have gotten like 80% of the value just from that. Well, then just share. All right. Then I'm not going to watch it, but that's, that's <laughs> talk about an exercise and going slow. It is a, it's a long movie. So, you know, okay. safer. No, it's, it's, it's actually, it's, it's a good film. It's beautifully made. Um, well, I, on know, top of I know you to be a consummate Tom Cruise fan and aficionado. I'm, I'm actually quite surprised that you haven't seen it. Oh yeah, yeah, I do, I do, I do. I, yeah, I like, I like Tom Cruise. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I have seen it. Could be. 
could be. Well, what I'll what I'll say on top of what I had uh, just mentioned about um, making sure to to uh, remember some of those like other auxiliary things that you have that you have going on and and, and paying them mind uh, in your in your effort uh, to be uh, masterful at different things. Um, I think that uh, the 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 I guess the overarching takeaway uh, for me. Uh, would be out of this episode is to uh, focus on creating uh, a space for yourself where you can be, where you have choice in the matter, where you can be focused, where you can uh, go slow. If uh, if you go back through, you know, the, all the different episodes that uh, John and I have done together, there's you know there's a lot there uh, around these these uh, different things. But if you don't have uh, basic structures in place that allow you to get anything done in any sort of um, uh, manageable way. If you are the type of person that is at the beck and call of your email inbox and your Slack messages and your text messages, and you cannot free yourself from that, then you don't really have a choice in going fast or slow. You have your, your, your pace is dictated to you. Mm-hmm. And so the, the more you can get out of that and actually dictate the pace of your own life, um, then you'll have, you can sit, you can sit in front of a painting for an hour and that won't seem weird that, or, you know, but, or, or, or not, or you could, you know, you could rush through the Louvre or whatever, you know, whatever you want to do, but you'll have choice in the matter. And that's the, I think the, the important part. I think that's true. Wealth, my friend is time luxury like having the time to save or having the time to sit in front of a painting. And I think our poverty today is not a financial poverty. It's a time poverty and it's predominantly self-inflicted and not to be self-promoting, but uh, I think that it's very difficult to break out of these kind of modes without a good coach. So I would say, you know, there's a proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think working with a good coach, not necessarily me, but Working with any good coach will help you identify some of these patterns and help you start to break free from like this necessity to move fast. And then you can really discover what's my authentic pace, what's my authentic expression. I can produce more, working less, and enjoying the whole process ridiculously in flow state, impacting and contributing to the world, being purposeful, making a difference. That's the game. Should we leave it there? I think this is great. Thank you for a thank you for a beautiful conversation. I, I can't wait to hear what it sounds like at thirty three RPM. <laughs> thank you, John, and uh, we'll talk to everybody next time. All right, everyone, be well. Best love. Bye. <laughs>